This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Now, you might not know this about me, um, but when I was in high school, I was heavily involved in band. <laughs> and, and actually, um, when I was a sophomore in high school, I signed up to be part of the band leadership team. If you were on leadership in band, you were called an officer. And what you needed to do was you needed to apply, have an interview with the band director, and then go to this thing called OCS, Officer Candidate School. And my band director, Mr. Kidd, had a tradition that he did every single year um, with all the, the newbies coming into the officer program. We would walk into the band room, and there would be the beautiful grand piano that our band program used. Now, this was Mr. Kidd's pride and joy. Okay, you did not touch it unless you played it. You did not mess with it, didn't even look at it. Like, if you weren't a pianist, don't mess with it, don't go near it. And what he did, it wasn't on wheels, um, to start the program is he would ask us to move it across the room. So he'd call on Angelo, and he'd say, Angelo, come here and pick that piano up and move it across the room. You can see what Mr. Kidd was trying to do, right? Um, so I could not lift the piano um, by myself. But towards the end of the program, when you know several people had gone up and failed miserably, um, he asked us all to gather around the piano together. And he asked us to get in really close and put just one finger underneath the piano. And then after telling us some spiel about how you can do a lot more together than you could ever do apart, you know, typical band director stuff, um, he asked us to lift up the piano. And we did. We did. It felt light as a feather. Now, I saw it from a mile away, right? Like, that's what he was going to do. That's what he was, it wasn't a surprise to me when we all got to that point. But for some reason, when I lifted that piano and realized that with all these people around me, um, it felt so light in my hands, it really helped me understand one of the reasons why I love working with others to accomplish big goals together. And even to this day, um, when I consider things that are happening in my life, I wonder, are there things that I might define as immovable that if I just invited a few more people in would feel light as a feather under my fingertip? Maybe you have had those experiences in your life when others have come alongside you to help guide you through something difficult. Now, as we have been engaging this conversation on friendship, each week has meant to draw us closer to, to this kind of reality, that we can do more together than we could ever do apart, that friendship was at the core of Jesus' teaching of discipleship, that he modeled friendship with his disciples, and that he took this group of people turn them from strangers into friends and then from friends into this incredible movement we know as the kingdom of God, which we are a part of today. This morning, as we bring this series to a close, it's the last Sunday in this How to Be Friends series, we really couldn't think of a better conversation to have than one that focuses on what it is to find a greater common purpose. A greater common purpose together. 
the thing that brings us together, that helps us see beyond the things that divide us, that shows us that we can reach incredible goals as a team. And the Apostle Paul knew a lot about finding a greater common purpose with others, and he wrote about it often. And our scripture this morning comes from Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Now, I think it's funny that in a series on friendship, we would end it by reading one of the most argumentative scriptures um, that Paul wrote. But he wrote this letter in rebuke of false teaching that was entering the church, the church in the area. This false teaching was telling people that in order to be saved, it was not enough to focus on Christ or have a relationship with Christ, but they must adhere to strict laws that would dictate and govern what they ate, what they touched, who they were with. The false teaching called into question the adequacy of Jesus because it said, essentially, Jesus wasn't enough for your salvation. You needed Jesus plus something. Jesus plus something. And it's to this that Paul writes. So we're going to be right here in Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 through 17. Paul says, Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You see, I hear this phrase all the time, the good old days, the good old days. Anyone ever heard or used this phrase, the good old days, the way that we think back to the time where everything was simple, everything was good, everything was great. We would hang out and people would get along just fine. There were no problems, no arguments, no issues. But in reality, what we know is that while the good old days might seem good and old in our minds, um, these issues of dissenting opinions, divisiveness, struggle within communities. They have been prevalent in our world throughout all history. And Paul was no stranger to them. In the time that followed Christ's death and resurrection, there were people of faith from across the spectrum 
There were people of faith from across the spectrum, and they had difficulty deciding what it was that they believed was essential to be this thing called Christian, to be a follower of Christ. They actually argued about this all the time. And you see, the beautiful thing about this new faith was that it was for all people. But the difficult thing about this new faith was that it was for all people. It was both beautiful and difficult. Because some people believed that they owned more of the faith than others. So they would say things like, well, sure, Jesus is great and good and wonderful and all are welcome to believe in Jesus, but if you're truly going to be wrapped within this covenant of Jesus Christ, then you need to make sure that you live your life in this way. You live your life in this way. Because this is really what Jesus was about. Those that would say, Jesus is for the Gentiles. But remember, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. So if you are going to be a follower of Christ, you must assume a certain standard of living and adhere to some Jewish practices, which for some meant circumcision, which for some meant dietary laws. It was a difficult time to figure out exactly what was required of those who followed Christ. And Paul felt that one of his greatest callings was to speak into this challenge and really speak in rebuke of it. Because for Paul, Jesus Christ was all, was all, was what was essential for salvation and for faith. And he says that when you become a follower of Christ, you are stripped of your old self and you put on the new self. That's in verses 9 and 10. And then in verse 11, he says, in that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, city and slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. This is not the only place we hear this kind of language from Paul. Maybe you're familiar with other scriptures that sound very similar. There's one from the book, the letter to the Galatians. I'll read it for you now, starting Galatians 3, chapter, uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. Paul says, now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian for in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Paul has this refrain of there is no longer. There is no longer Greek. There is no longer Jew. There is no longer male. There is no longer female. There is no longer slave. There is no longer free. And it is an important refrain because if we are going to be followers of Christ, then it requires, it requires an ability for us to come together and see beyond some of the barriers that might tend to stand between us to come and find our greater common purpose together. But here's the reality. 
that while Paul writes about this truth, that there is no longer this or that, the reality is that after people read those words, they were still Greek and Jew and male and female and slave and free. These people did not stop being who they were. And the differences would always be a part of them. They could never sit in a room and fully be the same. But here's um, one powerful thing that I find in this teaching. And that is what Paul doesn't say. Paul does not say that all are the same in Christ Jesus. Paul says that all are one in Christ Jesus. And I think for the sake of our conversation that there is a big difference between sameness and oneness. That there is a big difference between sameness and oneness. And the call to be people of God is not actually a call to sameness, but it is a call to oneness. Sameness left unchecked can be a really dangerous thing. It can breed terrible things. One of the things most prevalent in our world today that I think sameness breeds is extremism. Extremism is born in these homogeneous societies where there is no room for other opinions, other voices, other thoughts. And so when a differing something comes into the world, it becomes so shocking that the reaction is often irrational to others. But sameness can be incredibly dangerous. Sameness seeks to minimize and completely remove the value of diversity. But Paul never wrote about a God who did not value diversity. Paul wrote about a God who did not value divisiveness. But there is a difference, again, between diversity and divisiveness. You do not have to be the same to be one. Now, as I was doing some research for this sermon, I came across a beautiful story from North Carolina. In the early 20th century, not too long after the Civil War, there were a group of Native Americans, African Americans, and white Americans who decided to live in intentional community together as equals. And do you know what they named their town? Friendship. Friendship. They named their town Friendship. It's right down the road. It's right down the road. And so important is this name of friendship to the people who have grown up and lived in that town that when they were going to build a high school there, and the high school, I know I'm bringing up some wounds for people, because I've read all the articles and the comment threads, for when they were going to build a high school and call it West Apex, there were people who fought for the name to be Apex Friendship High School that the history of that community would be preserved by the people who attended that school. Now they're going to build a middle school, Apex Friendship Middle School. Friendship, friendship is an incredibly powerful thing in our world. These people, they found their oneness. And our oneness here in this church 
is centered on a greater common purpose. Our mission is to invite and equip all to become followers of Jesus in transforming the world. That is our mission statement as a church. And I believe it's beautiful when you put it in light of how Paul closes the scripture. In verse 15, he says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, I believe our church lives into this reality in many ways, but one way that I'm really particularly excited for is something I got to see happen um, this past Thursday. I have a picture that I want to put up on the screens. I'm not sure how well it's going to come out. Um, This is a picture. We were upstairs in the discipleship center of pastors from all over the triangle, and not Methodist pastors. Pastors from across denominational spectrums met right here in DC 400 to talk about a combined sermon series across the triangle following Easter. We are going to be partnering with Hope Community Church, with Life Point, with New City, with The Point, with World Overcomers. Churches, over 50 churches and counting across the triangle area are joining together to help remind our community that we can do more together than we could ever do apart and that we are friends with one another and we seek to build one another up and support one another. This is a beautiful reality of what our church is going to live into. Finally, as we, um, as we close our series, if you've heard Pastor Tim preach one or two of these sermons, chances are that you've heard him talk about the author Michael Frost and the book Surprise the World, The Five Habits of Highly missional people. We wanted to share a short video of Frost this morning uh, explaining what he believes the greatest purpose of the church is, and I think he does so beautifully. As we, as we continue to ask the question, well, well, how can we be friends together, and how can that friendship create something that becomes a movement, not just in our church, but our community? Uh, this is what Frost has to say about that. Let's watch. I just love that language about our lives, both as individuals and as a church, being like a trailer for a great upcoming feature that people would look at and say, I want to go see. I want to go see the whole thing. One of the ways we live into that is through this act of friendship. Because this act of friendship, friendship that requires some courage and some vulnerability is actually very countercultural to our world. Saying that that we believe in the power of God so much to overcome all the barriers that are said to exist, that we could be friends with one another and friends with a purpose, friends with a purpose to invite and equip all in following Jesus to transform the world. One final thing I want to leave you with today. Paul writes our scripture this morning as a rebuke to false teaching. And I think one thing that is so clear in our world is that even as Christians, sometimes it's difficult to understand, hey, uh, what is it that we actually believe? 
What is it that we actually believe? Where, you know, um, I've heard it said like this, that we have this beautiful thing called theology, and theology is like a yard that we get to play in. Um, And we have these doctrines of the church, and the doctrines are like the fence around the yard. And so you can play all over the yard. Just don't jump over the fence. Don't jump over the fence. What is that fence? What is that fence? One of the ways that the early church resolved or sought to resolve a lot of these arguments was through statements of faith. Probably the most recognizable for us is the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Starting next week, throughout the season of Lent, our church will be doing a teaching series on the Apostles' Creed, going line by line and talking about what does it mean when we say we believe, that we believe in God, we believe in Jesus Christ, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body. All of that is going to lead us right to Easter. And if you want to engage that conversation beyond Sunday morning, our Sunday schools are going to be reading the companion book by Adam Hamilton called Creed, What Christians Believe and Why. You can go and you can purchase that book today in Crossroads. And if Sunday school is not really your thing, if you'd like something different, a small group maybe, we are launching several small groups right here as part of Apex United Methodist Church which with people who are going to be meeting for the first time. It's a great way if you've been looking to plug in to sign up for a small group. All of these small groups are going to be covering the same content and they're available on different days. So you can go to Crossroads today. You can see what days these small groups are going to be offered. You can talk to Becky Leland, our, our Director of Missional Discipleship, and she'll help get you plugged in and signed up for something that you can step into. But that's our invitation. We have set this up very purposefully. That we could learn something about what it means to be friends. That we could come together and be friends with purpose. And then we could lean into this conversation of what are our foundations as Christians? What are the things that we really believe we need to get in order to get this faith? And not only um, what do we believe, but why does it matter? Why does it matter? We'll start that conversation next week. This morning, I want to give you just a few brief minutes. We've done this every single week um, to create a space right here in worship for us to talk to each other. So we're going to put up two questions on the screen. I'm just going to invite you, maybe take two or three minutes to have this conversation um, with, with people around you. Where have you experienced common purpose as a unifying experience And what relationships do you have now because of finding a greater common purpose with others?